Hey everybody, it is Richard Harrison Scott Lees with another episode of season three of the Surfing Sales Podcast. Uh, it is almost the end of March. Uh, I think the first day of spring was yesterday. So welcome spring to those who are having it and hold on to those who are not quite there yet. Um, want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, which are outreach.io, uh, click.outreach.io forward slash surf, click.io dot outreach.io forward slash surf, Scratchpad and Sendoso. We always appreciate their support. And of course, if you don't know, we've still got a spot left for the May Surf and Sales event. Uh, maybe our guest will join us. We'll see. We'll see if we can convince him, Scott. Um, so please check out surfandsales.com. Without further ado, uh, Chris, I didn't even pull up your title, so you're going to have to introduce yourself as well as your last name, because I don't want to say Chris Bougie, because I don't think that's quite right. I don't think you're Bougie, but since you're a comedy no, guy, you can I'm tell not, not Bougie. Uh, Chris Bogue, mercifully short video content that drives revenue. I am a coach. I coach people to get on video and sales teams to get on video, and I'm a comedian and writer living in Chicago. Nice. So and, uh, glad to be here today. Yeah, no, we're glad to have you. So, you, you know, I discovered you online, right? Like that's how we got here. I saw you on LinkedIn and I saw one of your videos and I'm like, oh, this guy's hilarious. And so Scott, that's why he's here. I don't even know if you, you know that part of the story. Um, and I love how you sort of saw this niche, right? Because there's a couple of people doing comedy out there for sales, but not a lot. So, um, and certainly I don't think there's anybody that I know of doing it from a video perspective. So how did you put the two together? Like, and maybe even go further, maybe just you know, tell us how you even got into comedy as a whole. Like, have you always been the funny kid? Were you, you know, where'd that even come from? Yeah, I was always a class clown. Um, when I was a little kid, I was doing bits from Conan O'Brien and Whose Line Is It Anyway? I my friends and I would, um, do the improv games. And then I went to college. I did a lot of improv there. Uh, we had a very dedicated group. So we were doing improvised musicals, improvised sitcoms, full length improvised plays. Uh, then I came to the city of Chicago and I learned sketch comedy at Second City. I had a run for a couple years uh, at comedy sports doing like short form improv and long form improv and sketch comedy. I did stand up. I did a bunch of experimental theater. And I always did sales as like a way to pay the bills. You know, I was always putting more work into the comedy than I was at like whatever tech sales job I was doing. And I got on video accidentally because COVID happened and I was selling to university professors and all of a sudden there was no way to reach them. I could not call their phone. I could not visit them on campus. I could not visit them at a conference. And yeah, I got on video and uh, turns out comedy works on video even when your audience is smart and elite. <laughs> so what do you think resonated with the people in the education sector as far as video goes because selling to education is historically or at least stereotypically considered to be very very tough so what do you think about that resonated mm -hmm. so much that allowed you to be successful so i have this thing where um in improv they they teach you to play to the top of your intelligence you know, um, and what they, they mean by that is um, you can go for the sophisticated joke, actually. They teach you don't go for the cliche joke, don't go for the punchline um, that you've heard before because the audience has heard it before. Speak from a place of honesty. And um, in education, yeah, there's a lot of noise. These people are spammed by marketers all day long because their email addresses are public. And, um, you know, people say what they think they want these people to hear. So they go in talking about all their hoity-toity pedagogies and educational theories. And I found that if you go talk straight to the audience, I actually call what I do soliloquy training because it's the same thing Shakespeare did. It's the same thing they do in Parks and Rec and The Office and all these sitcoms, Modern Family that people love. Um, when you break the fourth wall and you speak directly to the audience, you can say pretty much anything you want. And I found that just showing up on 30 seconds and being like, hey, Dr. So-and-so, sorry for the emails, but I know you study critical thinking extensively. And that's why I think it makes sense for us to meet. Um, I was able to just cut through all that noise and speak directly to the human being that I needed to influence. The, the Chicago land has produced like the majority of the comedic sales professionals that I can think of, that I know at least. A little mm -hmm. bit maybe in LA, a little bit maybe in New York, but like 
Chicago is known for the, the old Groupon story of like Groupon hiring all these stand-up comics as inside salespeople. What, why do you think that is? Where did all that I worked come there. From? I worked at Groupon. So there, there are go. different schools of, um, oh, wait, did I, am I still here? Okay. Hey, here. Um, yeah, yeah. There are different schools of thought on improv. And most of the people, there's a lot of people in New York, in LA, who came to Chicago first, um, because we have a very specific approach to improvisation and comedy. And it's all about the relationship. It's relationship-based humor. You're striking up a relationship and the interaction between the two characters is actually what the audience is watching. Uh, in, in LA, there's the groundlings. They're a lot more like character-based. You, you focus on the character, you arm yourself with the character. Um, New York, when they had the Upright Citizens Brigade, Amy Poehler's theater, that was uh, mostly about the game of the scene. Like, what is the joke? What is the thing that you're doing? But Chicago, it's all about building that relationship and figuring out like, who are these characters to one another? And that's a very powerful thing in sales to be able to quickly establish a relationship and get on someone's team and um, you know, now it's kind of figuring out what your dynamic is as a duo. And that's a very attractive way to do business. And it's very useful you know, in a situation like a cold call where you have to set the scene in 15 seconds and get enough yeah. buy-in from your partner to continue the conversation with you. Can you teach this to salespeople who have no background in comedy or, or stand-up or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I do. Um, the second city is not magic. It's not Jedi school where you need the force uh, to do, you know, to go in there and do it. It is a process for creativity. You know, it is a process so you can go into a room with nothing and walk out of that room with a full show, you know? And um, the thing they teach you in the Chicago school of comedy is that you don't need to invent anything. Um, I coach my clients and, you know, I'll coach sales teams or I'll coach individuals. And the first thing I tell them is you need to think of yourself as like 10 different people. I play a lot of characters in my stuff, but they're all pretty much a different version of me. And, um, and that's what they teach you at the second city is like, they say you, you want to wear your character as lightly as you would a cap that you could just discard at any moment. So um, when I'm doing a character, maybe I'll be playing a more standoffish version of me, you know, or a more short tempered version of me, or maybe I'm doing an impression of my dad uh, and I'm just trying to react to things the way my dad would. Um, but it's like, yeah, the more you just go out there and react honestly in the moment, instead of going for the joke, uh, the more the audience identifies with your reaction because it's real. And then that's what they laugh. That is that shared realization that, oh yeah, we're, we're actually both in on the same joke. Uh, reality is not quite what people assume it is. Here, here's my lived experience. And it, it turns out um, most people can relate to that. Yeah, it's really interesting. Everything you're saying to me resonates from a sales perspective. Um, you know, of course, I've always thought I was really funny. I don't know if I ever really am, but- um, You are, everyone is, everyone is funny. That's so what they that, teach you, everyone is funny when they're not trying to be funny, when it's just you being like the guy who's hanging out with your friends, not trying to be funny, that's the funniest version of you. That's, and I've, I've learned that. There are times where I say something funny and, and it, people laugh. And there are times where I'm like saying something, I didn't even think I was trying to be funny. And people are like, that's hysterical. Like it's this weird thing. But that, that leads to my question. In sales, whether it's comedy that you're teaching someone or teaching them a new sales skill, there's always this resistance, right? That internal fear that people have. And I think, I wonder, as you're trying to teach comedy, is it harder to get people to be vulnerable and try these things? Or do you think it's really the same wall that people have? And, and so one, is that a correct hypothesis? And two, how do you encourage people to go for it, right? Not, you know, how do you, you know, what do you do in, in your world? So a um, couple thoughts on that. One, every month it gets a little bit easier because every month you go on TikTok and you know, there's a few hundred thousand new people out there doing funny videos. And these are just regular people and TikTok's algorithm is set up. So you don't have to have an existing network already. You know, it's, it does, it has this algorithm where it sends your, your video out to an initial group of a hundred. And depending on how well it performs there, it might just go viral, you know? Um, so the more people see goofy, weird, normal people just out there doing it, the more they realize this is a thing that can be done. And um, I did realize, you know, I quit my last job because I felt like, oh, the world is shifting. 
I can see the curve coming and I'm ahead of it. You know, I, I've got a lot of on-camera training. Um, so it's like, yeah, every day there are more people on more platforms doing video. And I always tell sales leaders, like, I don't care if you buy my training. Yeah, how do you, how do you we'll do, do this someday. To, how do you get people to break through themselves? How do you teach them to get out of their own way? Um, well, first off, I go out there and do it and I make it look super fun so they get jealous. I know I'm doing it the best when people say, I'm jealous, I wanna do what you're doing. At which point I tell them, lucky for you, I'm a guy talking into his phone, right? It's not as hard as it looks. Um, but actually what I found is most sales teams already have this talent. You know, there are people who went to theater school, they went to music school, they did stand-up comedy, they're doing TikTok dances on the weekends. Um, they actually just need permission to do this, right? And uh, to any sales leader who says that this can't be done at scale, I ask them, how old is your SDR team? How old are those people making those cold calls? Because often that is a 23-year-old or a 24-year-old person. I tell them, good news. That person's probably already better than Chris Bogue at TikTok. <laughs> you know, you ask a 23-year-old person to go make a 30-second video, they're going to swing around. They're going to make sure the light is on their face. They know the exact you know, angle to hold the camera at. They know all the little in-app editing stuff. I tell them, it's like, I don't need to train your team to come in and make TikToks. I need to give them permission to be fun out there because they don't feel that they have that. And um, yeah, I'm actually on a mission to find the artists. And there are a lot of people throughout the world who they went to art school or they went to theater school or they went to something and they decided I didn't get famous so I'm going to put those skills in a box. I'm going to put it underneath my bed and I'm going to get a quote unquote serious job because I've got to support my family. And I'm telling them, hey, just take that box out. Um, I don't care if you played flute for one year in fourth grade. If you pull that flute out and go -doo -doo -doo, and make a TikTok, it might go viral and you'll be doing it at a higher level than 99.9% of people out there. Um, so actually most of my individual clients that I found so far as I built my business were people who already had some sort of background. Um, maybe they were already trying to do video. They're just kind of holding themselves back and they need someone who can let them play. So how do you, how do you, I'm trying to figure out the right, the right way to ask the question. How do you determine what's funny like and sometimes you can't right so and, and i'm thinking about it from the sales perspective right like i'm thinking about you know well what if you what if you swing for the fences and you miss and it's not funny or it's like and they'll, scroll, they'll just whatever. scroll past they'll just scroll past um but what i'm saying is it doesn't need to be funny and actually that's something that separates me from the rest of the comedy people you'll see if you go watch i made a video about ukraine um my black history month video my like i i will address serious topics and i will go more serious than the comedy people are willing to do but i'll still throw jokes in there um and actually what i'm telling people is you don't need to go for what's funny you need to go for what's real so when i say performers um i also mean teachers you know and when i say soliloquy like my soliloquy my performance with the audience that was stand-up comedy and sketch comedy and improv because that's what I know. Some people have their soliloquy at church. You know, that's yeah. the version of themselves that's interacting with an audience. Um, or maybe, you know, it's at, at Toastmasters they do it. Or I just try to get them into that mindset of like, where have you performed successfully in front of an audience before? Okay, let's get that version of you out there on camera. And again, some of the TikTok stuff that goes viral is not comedy. It's a person explaining something in simple terms. So um, how much you, my guest this week on my go ahead. Go ahead, Scott. Well, I was just sitting here thinking that, you know, historically the dynamic for sales and sales leadership has been always like athleticism and ex-athletes and that kind of hyper competitiveness, go win, you know, at all costs and team building and that kind of thing <clears throat> but the way the game is kind of being played now and the mediums that are being used it makes a lot of sense that performers and performers being artists comedians theater people band people teachers debate. are migrating to debate club sure okay. are migrating towards sales roles number one they pay way better so if you didn't make it as a, you know, pro athlete, boom, you can go make it as a professional salesperson and make pretty good money. If you don't make it as a 
in, in your band or you don't make it, you know, as an actor or writer, boom, you can go make good money as a salesperson. But now there's all these tools, video being one of them, that makes it so much easier for the creator. And potentially they could be a lot more successful than some old jock like me. I didn't grow up with TikTok. So you're like all these different filters and all. I'm like, Jesus Christ, the thought of like getting on TikTok and trying to make a video is like terrifying for me. Scott's not funny either. Like he's, there's nothing funny about Scott. So. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but, 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 but all these creators coming in now, like they have the skill set, they have the mentality and they understand the medium and the tools to really make it work, I think. You agree with that, Chris? Yeah, Richard? yeah. So I always say the difference between me and most sales leaders is like, you get a lot of coaches. I call this the Michael Jordan problem. Um, Michael Jordan, greatest player to ever play the game. He was not the coach. You know, and what happens in sales is you get your Michael Jordan types, you get your, your guy who, or you're a woman who's, who's just, they're focused on the scoreboard. They're focused on being number one. They're going to be number one, no matter what. And that's get who gets promoted to leadership. And um, coaches who think that way, assume everyone else is motivated that way. And I'm a director of talent. I was directing sketch comedy shows often that I was not in. You know, I had an ensemble of players and my job was to write for them and to direct for them. So I always had all these sales leaders who was like, Albert's number one on the leaderboard. How are you going to prove that you're number one? And I was always like, I don't care if Albert's better than me. Because <laughs> I came from a school of thought where if I had to be in a writer's room with a better writer than me, I wasn't like, oh, how am I going to prove that I'm a better writer? I was like, oh, wow, we're going to make something amazing because I'm in the room with yeah. this person. Very, very you know, different this person's mentality, a better singer. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, Scott, that, that, I mean, you tell me, Scott, that fits more with me, right? Like, I like to win, but I didn't care. Like, I cared that the yeah. team. Yeah, sure, right? sure. Sure. A Scottie Pippen yeah. type or a Dennis Rodman type. Um, you know, Phil Jackson pushed Michael harder because that's what Michael needed. Um, you know, Dennis Rodman, he was a, he was a support player. He was the muscle. He was out there um, watching the reactions so he could make sure that nobody was going to be able to take out Jordan. And, you know, he had issues with mental health. He was going through a very um, difficult time in his personal life. And Phil Jackson gave him a lot more empathy and in sometimes a lot more personal space than people thought was wise, but um, Jackson recognized, he, he was a man who knew how to manage large egos, you know, and um, you manage a Rodman differently than a Michael Jordan versus a Scottie Pippen, sure. you know, and um, being able to recognize these different energies as strengths. And I, you know, I feel that's a gift of mine saying, hey, this is your sales killer. He doesn't want to go on the phones. Let him hit his quota without it. But if you got a bunch of knuckleheads who aren't hitting quota and turns out they're really funny, um, let's make some TikToks with them, you know, maybe even incentivize them. So how do you, um, that, and, was, and, that was my next question, right? So we talked yeah. a lot about TikTok, right? Which I agree um, is, is the next social platform. Mm -hmm. However, if you're teaching salespeople, you know, so for me, TikTok is more about my personal brand. Versus if I'm a salesperson, my, my sales personal professional brand, as I call it. Mm -hmm. But if I'm trying to actually do sales, are you then also teaching them how to do videos that go into the emails and, you know, using, I don't know if you're a Vidyard guy or, you know, whatever platform. But... I am. I'm an affiliate partner of theirs. So full disclosure, I do get, you know, I do refer my clients to Vidyard. Oh, so um, do yeah, so I do both. Know. And um, I don't. I don't treat them that um, dissimilarly though. So I always say it's like, so I have this thing too. My, my vidyards do very well in terms of they get very good response rates and they get very good watch rates. But what's, but what's I find a lot of sales so, teams. So how, you know, it's different to go in and do something goofy on sales in theory, you know, or something sales on, on a TikTok. But if I'm targeting a client, right? If I am going after a client, what are the elements you're trying to teach salespeople to use to make their video um, like, is that like, okay, you got this many seconds for an introduction and then you got to set this, like, what is that piece? Cut past the introduction and you start using the word you, okay. you know, um, I say practice using the word you a lot. Don't go over 60 seconds. And, you know, it's a script where it's like, Hey, Richard, I love the surf and sales podcast. I know you're all about the newest trends there. I know you're not a Michael Jordan type. You're doing it a different way. You're more thoughtful. And I think I see a lot of alignment with what we're doing. So I would love to chat with you. If you'd like my calendar invite, shoot me a thumbs up emoji. 
and I'll send you my calendar. And if this is not in my network, either way, man, keep up the show. It's awesome. 30 seconds. Um, you would not believe how well that works. And the big thing that I do that nobody else does with Vidyard, I put captions in there. And people think I'm crazy. They think they're like, oh, why are you going to put, you know, captions in a Vidyard? And I'm like, because captions are great. They're great for SEO. Um, they're great for people on mute. They're great for people on mobile. And they'll go, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I put captions in my content. We put captions on our TikTok. We put captions in everything. But why would I put it in a Vidyard? I'm like, this is a this is a direct video going straight to a C-level executive. You know, in some cases, this is the person that can get you 50% to quota. Um, that caption might be the difference between them watching or not. So of course I'll take an extra two minutes to put captions into my vidyards. And if I'm the only one captioning my vidyards, that helps me stand out, you know? And I think that is a big reason why I tend to get, my vidyards either get a 0% watch rate or a 100% watch rate because it's about them, it's short, and I make it super easy for it to read. Do you ever drop a joke into the intro vidyard? Or is it? Oh yeah. Um, so um, I have a lot of weird attention-getting styles. I have this weird magic stick instrument that I'll just play. Here we go. Um, you know, I've got like um, I'll throw a little special effects in there sometimes. I'll like light my finger on fire or something and blow it out. Um, I'm a big fan of doing something attention-grabbing in the first three seconds because the data says that's how long you have to lose them. So there's, there's a little bit of prop comedy in there. It's just, you have to think as of every five to 10 seconds as its individual, its own individual moment. And mm -hmm. I tell people the novelty of video is not enough to guarantee you're gonna get watched. You know, the, the audience doesn't care that you had the gall to make a video. They care that you're talking about them. And whether I'm coaching somebody to make content or whether I'm coaching them to make vidyards, the first thing we do is we visualize one person in their audience that's going to watch that video. You know, we have a conversation about who is going to see this, um, what do they care about, and what is the one thing you want them to get from this video? Maybe that you want to teach them one piece of information. Maybe you want them to take one action. Maybe you want them to feel something. Um, ask yourself, what is the one thing you want from them at the end of the video? And then we work from there. And I always say that the difference between what I do and what a lot of influencers do on LinkedIn is I am always playing to small rooms. Those stand-up shows, all the best performances I got in small rooms where you're really reading the pulse of that audience. So I, I make all my stuff for a very small audience and I know exactly what I want them to feel. Sounds a lot like uh, a certain small sales conference. It does. It does. <laughs> Chris, done a little differently. Done a little differently. A little more intimate. Small hey, room. Yeah, you're yeah, on yeah, the yeah. same path. You, I'm finding the people who are on my path. So Chris, how did you decide, how did you even decide to do sales, right? Like, was it, you know, did you, did it find you? Did you also like selling? Did you see that, well, comedies like sales because you're selling somebody on a joke? Like, what made you go, oh, I can go make, like, we get, you can make money in sales, but what was the thing for Chris? I'm... I'm bold and I don't see people for how much money they make or how much education they have. So it's kind of one of my superpowers in like, if I'm talking to a CEO or a celebrity or something, I don't get tongue tied. Cause again, I don't really, I'm not doing the ranking thing where I'm like, oh, this person's better than me. I just see people for their talents. And, you know, the first thing I do in sales is I notice the other person, you know, if they're putting content out there, that means they want to be perceived a certain way. And if they don't put content out there, I dig deep into their company's press releases and social media um, presence, because I want to figure out, like, how does this person see themselves? You know, how do they want the world to see this company they've created? And yeah, I show up noticing them the way they want to be noticed. Yeah, but what made you want to do sales? Does anyone want to do sales originally? You just kind of fall into <laughs> it because you're good at it. You know, um, you're bad at it. for You take it because it's better paying than other jobs and you suck at it. And it's really frustrating and you think you're done with it. And then uh, what actually taught me was when I was um, selling to PhDs, you know, and I learned uh, I used to be self-conscious that I didn't have a better education. 
I don't have a PhD. I don't have a master's degree either. And um, have, seeing COVID happen and being on the inside, working with all these large institutions that were not designed to change as quickly as they did, um, dealing with these professors who had no idea what they were doing anymore. Um, all of a sudden, I realized the platform was a lot more level than we thought. And you know, I said to my bosses at the time, I'm like, I, I feel like this is the scene in Jurassic Park where the fence is turned off, you know? And it's like, guys, there are no gatekeepers anymore. Um, if you have the courage to talk to someone, you could talk to anyone in the world. You know, you just gotta get on your phone. And um, yeah, I, I kind of got into it out of necessity, but now I'm in love with it because I feel like I see all these possibilities that people who are doing it the old way just don't see yet. Hmm. Somebody told me a while back that there's three types of content. Content that educates, content that inspires and content that entertains three types of content are you fully on board with the best type of content to start with is the entertainment part then you can shift towards something else or no, how do you actually, see, how do you see that um i actually say the best thing you can do is just start talking about what you know i did not think i was going to be doing sketch comedy on linkedin I really didn't. Um, I thought, I'm like, okay, I, I found out how to close on sales. I found out how to send vidyards when people struggle with that. I thought that's what people were interested in. And they are. Um, but when I started doing the sketch comedy, it was because that, that's what I know. And I was a one-man team. So I was like, okay, well, I need to play this other guy on the phone. So I'll put on a pair of glasses and throw on a different persona. And the more I started to do the alternate characters, the more I started getting inbounds and DMs being like, I love the sketch comedy, please do more. So I always tell people, if you just start with what you know, um, you'll find your audience there. And, um, you know, I have, so like I do a show every week. I have a guest this week that I love because her name's Lydia Allen. She's dyslexic and she went on TikTok. Again, she's, she's a woman who, she's not a comedian. She's not a performer. She never wanted to be an influencer, but she went on TikTok and started talking about dyslexia. And all of a sudden she started getting millions of people following her TikTok and responding and commenting. And it's because that was an audience that nobody in the mainstream media ever spoke to. And teachers didn't know how to speak to and corporations didn't know how to speak to so um it was a group of people that were ignored and made to feel like they were less than because she did but she turned on her phone and started talking about what she knows she started talking about her experience and um turns out a million people are there for it you know and i say it's it's my version of andy warhol's 15 minutes of fame you know he said everybody is gonna get 15 minutes of fame i say it does not matter who you are there are a million people out there somewhere in the world who would be interested in watching what you do. Are you ready to have a million people watch you, Richard? Or, come on, you know my ego. What do you think? <laughs> the answer is absolutely. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm squirming at the possibility right. of a million people watching me do anything. Right. Well, that's why, Scott, I want to do this Costa Rica is that we cut a TikTok video and you just look annoyed. You don't have to say anything. I do all the talking and you look annoyed. Like, <laughs> why is Richard dragging me to this stupid fucking video? Right. Because that that fits our personas, by the way. So. That totally does. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Uh, Chris, um, you know, what kind of questions can we answer for you? I mean, you're, you know, you've got you've shared a ton. We want to give something back to you as well. You know, we're happy to answer questions for you. Um, yeah, why aren't you guys doing more TikToks? Say that, I'm sorry, I feel you. like you just asking, don't, like, it's don't, not something. He's just asking, why don't we? Why don't we? Well, because I find it's like some people want to go out there doing it. I, I see you guys do fun things. Um, you know, if you're, I mean, Scott, if you're not a, you know, a showy type, I totally understand that. But um, the people out there who do like the attention, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, is there something talking to you, Richard? He's yeah, talking to I, you, Richard. Is it... This is so Scott's like as I as I see it. You know, Scott so Scott is whether he will admit it or not. He has the charisma to be the entertainer in an educational and informative way. Um, he has a story behind it. Um, you know that that he shares, but he was also in a band in college, so he has a little bit of performer in him. Um, but he's also, as I think, I think sometimes some of the biggest stars are also the most introverts. Like they crave the attention, but then if you put them in front of a bunch of people, normally they're not comfortable. Like they get to hide behind the mic in the 
in the guitar, right? Like, you know, Steven Tyler, not that person, not Steven Tyler, right? But like Harrison Ford, not the most engaging interview, but a good actor. <laughs> um, what's holding me back is just fear, just unbridled fear. Uh, I can go super deep and talk about my own, um, you know, lack of confidence in my self-image and good looks because I don't think I have them and things like that. So I, you know, I know there's, where it comes from. Um, there's also, Scott, there's also, there's also a question of bandwidth and, uh, and priorities and the learning curve. And it's like, okay, you know, Richard has his business dialed in. I got my business dialed in. We have surf and sail stuff dialed in. We manage our email. We're in God knows how many Slack groups. We got trainings and Zooms and phone calls and text messages all day long. We got LinkedIn stuff that we deal with in the inbox there. A little bit of Twitter, even Richard's got a newsletter. I used to have a newsletter. I'm kind of on pause with it because of bandwidth. And so part of it is just mental load of like, oh my God, I'm going to start and do something else. Um, which is a bit daunting slash exhausting for me. And I, at least, am not good at dabbling. So once I pick up the TikTok talk selling drug, if you will, I'm fucked because I'm going all, I, I'll go all in on it. Like I, I know. Um, and so I'm a little hesitant, you know, of that. That's the ex-addict in me. That's like, ooh, once I start that, I'll probably want more of it, you know? Yeah. So that's this, part of it. These are, are very common things that I hear. And Richard, to your point, you know, people look at me and they think because they see me out here doing video content every day that I might, I must not have these insecurities either, you know? Uh, and people, whenever I tell them, I'm like, oh yeah, I use daily content. I use video content that I don't have to cold call anymore because I'm just omnipresent in video. Um, people tell me, they're like, well, that must be so easy for you, but I could never do that. And, you know, I remind them that like, I'm a guy with a phone. I'm a one man operation here. I don't pay coaches. I don't even outsource my stuff. Um, and yeah, I, I was on a three-year creative dry spell prior to this. I literally thought I was never going to do comedy again. Um, I thought I was ugly. I thought I, like my marriage had fallen apart. I was not happy in my job. I thought like, what could I possibly offer the world? Um, I thought I, I just didn't have a home anywhere before, you know, I thought kind of my, um, my window for opportunity in entertainment had passed me by. And also everybody in business had passed me by because I spent too much time in entertainment, not getting anywhere. And I felt like my twenties were an absolute waste of time. And it wasn't until I got on video that I discovered all these talents that I didn't realize I had, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't think I could go out there and do sketch comedy again because I didn't have a writing partner anymore. You know, I used to write shows with my buddy Tins, uh, who's a hilarious sketch comedian improviser. He's also a very talented musician. Um, so he was producing all my music and he was 50% on operation. And I said, well, you know, I'm funny, but I can't do it without him. I can't do it without a cast who can sing and dance and act better than I can. And um, yeah, you kind of discover your talents as, as you put it out there. So I tell people, it's like, if writer's block or, you know, stage fright are holding you back, we can get you past that, you know, but um, I'm it's, trying to show people out here, there's no right way to do it. What's the ROI of this stuff? Because this, this is another piece and a potential reason why uh -huh. Richard or myself or maybe people like us um, hesitate about it because we don't even understand the ROI. Maybe Richard does and I don't. I, don't, I have a hard time figuring out the ROI. So you invest all this time and energy into it. And like, what becomes possible? How does this transform your business or launch a business? How does it take somebody who's, let's say, earning nothing to all of a sudden you're making half a million dollars a year because of this stuff? Or how do you take somebody who's got a couple million dollar business and you lean into this channel and it fucking blows up and now you've got a five million dollar business like what's possible in this world from a roi perspective 
Okay, so um, those are two separate questions. I want to answer both. What, what's the benefit to someone with nothing? And what's the benefit to somebody who already has an established business? So I'll say I quit my job. It was a sales job. Um, a lot of former salespeople out there, not exactly special in the marketplace. Um, the first thing I started doing was I started friending everybody who was making content. So I got friendly with the video companies, Drift, BombBomb, Loom, Vidyard, um, all their content people, all their marketing people. I started getting chummy with them. I started making sure that they saw my content too. And I started inviting them to do stuff. Um, I made some appearances in their videos. They made some appearances in my videos. I got Vidyard to sponsor a video of mine where I broke the Vidyard world record. Um, I started showing up on their podcast and they started showing up on mine. And what happened was I became a part of their ecosystem. And this is actually something I did in sales too, where if somebody is rejecting your calls, somebody is ignoring you, and they're, they're not responsive to your emails, you need to show up where they are and you need to become part of their environment. So um, if you're active on LinkedIn, if you're commenting with the other people out there who um, are being seen, you will get seen. And um, originally I was doing all my stuff straight sales because that's what I know. You know, I was always a sales guy and I was always good at cold calling and cold emailing and that stuff. And um, once I started getting inbounds from the content, I realized that I had to keep the content output high. And it's one of those things where I can't slack on either of them, um, yeah. but like the content keeps me out there. It's a good window into like, if someone is, is sharing the content and hitting the like button and coming to live streams and um, they fit my ICP, that's somebody who sees value in what I do. <laughs> And, um, you know, if I'm trending behind my monthly number, I'll make more vidyards, you know, or if somebody wants to make more voice notes or cold calls or cold emails or whatever you do. Uh, my thing is for my outreach, I'll send out five vidyards a day maximum. That takes me about an hour with the captioning and everything. Um, but it's like, yeah, if I'm falling behind, I'll do more direct sales. But I've actually found that um, I've kind of just flipped the sales process around. You know, so the traditional sales funnel assumes someone is a cold prospect, meaning they've never heard of you before. You make one cold call. Now they're engaged. Now they're going to go to a demo, then do a strategy call, and they're going to close. And then you're done with them after they're done. And that's just not how business works anymore. Um, everybody's out here. We're all on the same platform. I actually just nurture them on the front end. I, I connect with people all the time. I'm always prospecting. I'm always growing my network, finding people who find um, value in what I do. But I show the value up front and I show that I understand their problems, you know, before they even show up and meet me. And then once they start taking interest in what I do, it is a much quicker velocity in terms of like sending out the cold outreach, getting the meeting. Um, I say, you know, business works faster and slower now in the work from home era. So um, if somebody's ready to go, they're ready to buy, that deal will fly through the pipeline. Um, the content is just an easier way to tell like who sees value in what you're doing and who's actually engaged with you like right now. Um, Cause they're the people who are probably ready to buy. I'm just sitting here thinking about the surf and sales TikTok account, Richard. Yes. I know. So, that, also, if you're an established brand, you yeah. know, you know it's what stuff is safer. valuable already. It's a little safer too, maybe, Richard. It's not yeah. like fully you exposed or fully me right. exposed, right? Well, it's, it's funny too, because I have this whole hashtag that I did for a good year or two called shit my sales manager used to say, which is supposed to be funny. It is funny, right? And it's like, oh, I could just go make like 300 TikToks of that stuff, right? And just put Imagine. them out there. You batch and, them. I tell them, you go there, you you have that character. What's your sales manager going to say? I have a running dock of stuff that I could throw in there. And yeah. my trick is I do it all on one video file, right? So it's like you turn on the camera and you do the five different lines. And then there's a lot of free programs. You can do Adobe Rush. You can do iMovie. If you have something more sophisticated like DaVinci or Premiere Pro, you can do that. But yeah, I record them all at one time. Or when I'm doing Vidyards, I just pull up my calendar, right? And I'm like, who's on the calendar this week? Oh, okay. Hey. Richard, can't wait to see you tomorrow. Here's what we're going to be talking about at our meeting. Catch you at 11 a.m. Um, Scott, hey, Scott, can't wait to show up on your podcast. Da, 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 da. And I've got one video file. It's got 10 different things on it. You know, they're all 30 seconds long. And I just chop them up and send them out to the right people. And my outreach is done in one hour. And now I can go make content. Now I can go coach my clients. Now I can go work on the things I want to work on. Um, Scott, you got yeah, an hour? And, Scott, you got an hour on your calendar, buddy? 
I think you we guys all are a duo. Hour. You, you all, guys we are always a comic duo. We all have an hour. Yeah, we're like Laurel and Hardy, Richard. I know. That's how you you know you got the you got the straight man and you got the funny guy, and that's how it works. And um, I always thought I was. I'm the straight guy. For sport. people listening, I'm the straight guy. <laughs> I'm the funny guy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, um, and that's why, like, you'll see on my week on my show every week, I do a bit with my guest, where it's like I have my guest send me a 15 second video clip, and it's us like teasing the upcoming episode. Um, but it's it's just so much fun, and um, yeah, for me, it's turned into a time saver, and um, you know, part of that was because I had to do it inefficiently for a little while before I figured out how to do it efficiently. Got to get through the part. You got to get through the phase where the time suck and then it becomes the time yeah. saver. Yeah, yeah. I, have to, I have to do that for like blog posts and stuff. I'm like, okay, I'm going to take this hour to write my shit. So, yeah. Um, and that's why so, I say to, go to advice for people who aren't on LinkedIn. I got some of my best advice. I went to YouTube influencers. I went to people who went to film school. They taught me a lot about editing. Um, I sent my content to a lot of people who had no business experience. They were just good at making videos. Yep. And I was like, what do you think of this? And they gave me a couple little simple tips. It's like, hey, if you put the lights here, it's going to look way better. Hey, if you cut your thing a frame earlier and overlap the images, you're going to get a much cleaner cut. Um, they told me like a couple simple things to make me look more professional. And then I advise if you can show up being weirder than the rest of LinkedIn, you'll stand out. <laughs> um, I try to strategically break the rules. And um, I use board game logic. Board game logic says um, a game is fun because how you build a board game is you create a rigid set of rules that cannot be broken. And then you let the players break them one by one. So, um, you know, you think of a, a game, you think of the die, roll the die. Um, the rule is you have to move that many spaces forward uh, unless you get a four. If you roll a four, you can move forward or backwards. Um, you know, when you, when you break rules strategically, that's interesting. So I say, pull up like Will, the guy from Lavender, or someone who like will teach you to write correct emails, follow the 12 steps, but just flagrantly break one of the rules. Follow all 11 rules and break one as absurdly as possible. Um, you will get noticed. And um, that's how I do it, at least. Scott, aren't you an advisor for Lavender? Yeah. Follow all the rules <laughs> and break one. I love that. Because yeah, they, they have the best rules. Apply that. That's Scott. That is Scott Lee's by definition, rules. by the way. That is 100%. I love that. So. Yeah, that's yeah. My so that's my favorite quote. That's my favorite quote so far. That one's going to stick in my mind. Follow Will, all the rules. Send the lavender guy. Send him, send him an email with the subject line. Hey, I know this should be five words long, but I got a really long thing I want to tell you, Will. So I just like make it way it. too long and then make the rest of it a lavender approved email. He will laugh <laughs> and he'll notice yours because yours is going to oh, look great. That's and all the perfect emails in his inbox trying to get a demo from the lavender guy. That's great. So Chris, we got to we gotta move to wrap up uh, so you can ask us another question. But first, a quick shout out to um, our good friends at Outreach, click.outreach.io forward slash surf, uh, our friends at Scratchpad and our friends over at Sendoso. Obviously, if you're going to do video, follow Chris. I assume the easiest place to find you, Chris, is on TikTok or LinkedIn? What's your preferred method? So you can find me on LinkedIn. You can ring my bell. I am a creator. So um, you can follow me for daily updates. And you can find me on TikTok at Chris Sells His Soul. Um, you can also <laughs> find me on LinkedIn at Chris Sells Soul or my website, ChristopherBogue.com. If you're interested in uh, checking out my coaching services, I do uh, awesome. monthly coaching for individuals. I do corporate coaching for sales teams. And I also do a one-off 90 minute uh, strategy session called the Overture. Um, so uh, yeah, check my stuff out. Cool, man. Thank you so much. So any, any last question for us? Anything you want to ask us about life, sales, video? Yeah, um, I know Costa Rica is all about Pura Vida. It's all about the good life. So um, I don't know. Could could you tell me like how you guys bring in the Pura Vida for your uh, for your surf and sales event? That's a great question. That's really it is a great question. I like that. Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of it is um, the location, obviously, and then how we go about things. You know, we're not trying to cram. 15 hours worth of content in and you know you're zoned out half asleep you know waiting to do something else you do about four or five hours of content you know 
three in the morning, two in the afternoon type of thing. And it's, there's a lot of balance. There's time to have good food, good drinks, have conversation, you know, laugh, network. There's time to go walk, to go surf, to go swim in the ocean. Um, and, you know, those things are all kind of healing, I think, and, um, and a lot of fun, and get some exercise. So it's a little bit of learning, a little bit of vacation, a little bit of networking, you know, and um, that's kind of the, the vibe of surf and sails. And I think a lot of that is the vibe of, of Costa Rica. Don't stress too much, put in some, some work and effort, but find the balance. You can be successful without, you know, working yourself to the, to the bone. And I think that's part of part of what's in there. What do you think, Richard? I think um, I think all of those are there. And I also think, and, and Chris will discover this when he comes in May and he signs up after this podcast at surfandsales.com, um, that uh, part of it is, you know, we certainly have a no asshole policy. We've never had anybody get out of hand. Um, we talk about it. You know, we do, we let people know ahead of time, this is supposed to be fun and educational. Um, it doesn't need to be a drunken, you know, frat party, which it's not, um, which I think was the first image when we first started it. Um, I think that people come and actually check their titles at the border. Like they come because they know they're coming to learn and participate. Uh, I also think you know, when we come, we, we have the participants, the people who show up deliver sessions. So like, if you came and you wanted to do, Hey, I want to do 45 minutes of how to do comedy. We'd let you do it. Like, we're not going to, you know, we want, it, it's not about us dictating to everybody what this needs to be. We're, I think we're facilitating a learning environment that's uh, mindful of different titles and roles and, creating just a warm healthy experience right it's this micro community and so i think that's a big piece of it and i think people come because they know that's what they want like if you were to come like my, you know, my my guess is chris you know and anybody is i want to go do this it looks good it's i've heard about it now i can go and chill but i can also learn and so i think people bring the pira vita with them as much as we provide it to them because that's what they're seeking so I love that. Um, I want to know what you guys think about this number, because there's a lot of numbers that get thrown around these days and like how you should measure value, how you should measure, you know, someone's life. Um, I have come up with this number that is very important to me um, because I work all the time. I, I work, I'll take a break in the middle of the day. Sometimes I'll take a big old break in the middle of the day, but I'll work in the evening. Sometimes I do my creative work in the evening that's when my creative juices get flowing. Um, you know, I start work earlier in the day, but I'm, I'm not really as focused on the number of hours anymore because I say I have a good work to creativity ratio. So I don't care if I work a lot because I spend more time doing creative things that I love than grinding out machine work that I don't love. Um, so what do you guys think of this notion of a work to creativity ratio? And do you think this is actually something that other companies might want to start thinking about? Because I'm, I'm starting to think of talking about this number more often because I, I think something's wrong in sales. And if you're, if you're yeah. paying people more and you're, they're still burning out and quitting in eight months and not hitting quota, I feel that the job needs to change. And I feel if people think about work to creativity, um, that's a step in the right direction. Yeah. Well, I really like the idea of that ratio. I've never heard never heard of that before. I was trying to think of mine. I, I don't know what it is. It's not as good as I would want it to be. I don't know if companies would have an appetite for that, but I know that people would have an appetite for that. Yeah, I think I, that. I um, think. Yeah, I think, and I think Google did that. I don't know if they still do, right? Like you, you got you know twenty, you know, one day a week or whatever. Like just go think about whatever the heck you want to think about. Um, yeah, but Google wasn't doing that for fucking salespeople. Google was doing that to appease engineers. their engineers, man. I totally agree. I agree. That's right. Fair. So, this is a lot different, I think. Yeah. Well, I but think I'm, I'm, I think, well, I think, I think COVID has forced this because managers had to trust that their reps were doing things and that um, in the remote world. And I think that they also realized in some cases, reps weren't working you know, a traditional nine to five because they had other things to do. 
um, and they could get them done, but then the rep might work at night. And so I think that there's some value there. And I, I think you should promote it. I'm a huge mental health guy. Like if, if, you know, Chris, as you and I get to know each other over time, I'm a big proponent of mental health. I put out some reports about the state of mental health in sales. And I think that this is a, a huge piece of that. Um, I think it's a, you know, I hate the work-life balance shit, right? Because if you, if you love what you do, then you've got good balance. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't step away and, you know, go to a movie or go for a run or, you know, other healthy things. Um, but I think that's important. Um, and I, you know, I'm a, I'm a driver where I get creative. Like if I get on the road, that the hum of the road makes me get super creative about things. So I've been known to do that. Um, you know, and I can do that any time of day. So, um, but yeah, I think you should talk about it. I think you should talk about it. I think you should talk about all the values of it. I think you, you might need to give examples because people may not understand what creativity well, it's, it's is. It's to plan for creativity. I, yeah. I, I feel like the problem is when you're doing something like sales, which is like you're, you're trying to influence a very high level person on a very personal level. My problem with sales leaders is they want you to write these brilliant custom emails, but they want all your creative writing to happen on the nights and weekends. And I tell them, you need to plan that into your process. You know, So yeah. if once a month you have a creative writing session with a head of sales and a head of marketing, sit down and sync up their language and talk about what's working, what's not working, what's on a calendar. I, I love the fact that, that managers tell people to do this. Meanwhile, so many of these people are in their first or second job out of college. And it's like, you're turning over your messaging to um, with good intentions, but you're not actually helping them do it. You're not teaching no, them. No, they don't know. They're like, prove to me that you can write an email. It's like, dude, just let them know what the top rep is sending, right. you know? Yeah. And if you let them in uh -huh. there and, you know, marketing break down, like, hey, this is proven to be effective. And the top seller can be like, look, this is two sentences long. Um, it works. You just need to get everyone on the same page. But what sales leaders do is they just let everyone figure it out on their own. Yep. And that leads to hours of procrastination. So my thing is, yeah, you know what? If you plan a couple hours of creativity in, you might want to hire Chris Bogue because I'll do yeah. it for you. I'll yep. convene a writer's room for you. I'll make sure it's organized for you. But you have to plan to be creative. Otherwise, creativity is not going to happen. I totally agree. And I know Scott had to jump because he had to go to a meeting, which also means we need to end this. Chris, this has been fabulous. Thank you so much. Um, so glad I ran into you online. So glad you said yes. Thank you. Um, you know, folks, please go check out, check out Chris's stuff. It is smart, it is educational, and it is hilarious. So he's really good at this stuff and, and give him some love and support, even if you're not going to hire him yet. But of course, please hire him too. So Chris, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Richard. Pura Vida. Yeah, Pura Vida.